This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. And you'll want to check out Zupan's new shrub drink options in their cafe department. These refreshing tonics are made with fresh fruits or veggies, herbs, sparkling water, and, hey, Pock Pock's Psalm drinking vinegars. Very nice. Also new to their cafe and bakery departments, uh, start Oktoberfest early, because why not? Big and tasty Zupan's soft pretzels. I've had them myself, Court. They are so good, and they're big. They are big, and they're just a little buttery and... Uh, Right there in the bakery department. Very nice. Bavarian Beauties, baked in-house daily and ready to make your mouth water. And then summertime's running out soon. Back to school already. And so are Zupan's outdoor staples. September's the last month for Burgers in the Breezeway. Thursday's at Lake Grove and Burger Friday's at McAdam. And also it's the last month for the Ruby Jewel ice cream truck at Lake Grove. So check that out uh, before it's gone for the season. Tuesdays through Mondays from 4 to 9 p.m. in the Breezeway at Lake Grove. Three locations conveniently located across the Portland area and always at zoopans.com. Time once again for Right at the Fork. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. Did I say that right? Portland's Food Scene Podcast. I think that could be right. You could interpret that not many ways other than we are no. Portland's Food Scene Podcast. That's exactly right. Uh, that, of course, is Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And that is Court Johnson from Right at the Fork also, but also the radio. You can hear him on KXL and on Kink. Yeah, and if you were actually a fly on the wall in the studio, you would have seen Chris and I pointing at each other. Really? <laughs> Wow. And we're not supposed to. I've been told I have my dear friend Dave in North Dakota. And yeah. I don't know if he's really an avid listener of this to actually hear this now. But whenever we're anywhere, yeah. he's got a whole different set of rules from being from North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Whenever I point to anybody, even if they're not looking and they're across the room, right. that's impolite, Chris. Don't point. So I've, I remember hearing that as a kid. Right. So we're pointing like, at each other. Kind of like right elbows now. on the table. Exactly. Which I'm totally down for as well. Uh, you know, I notice I get really lazy by myself when I eat. That, my elbows can be on the table. And you have to remember when you're amongst others in a nice social situation. Right. You got to take those elbows off the table. A lot of it had, just has to do with table space. When yeah. you're at a table, like, I mean, you put your ta- your elbow up on there. I it's think like, it's lazy. It's, more, it's a little more comfortable to lean forward. Right, and uh, and so you got to remember to take so, them off. So so here would it be to our restaurateurs out there, put some uh, you know on your on your chairs. Maybe put those armrests a little higher up so that. Right, or a little or so a I little could, uh, so electronic could, buzz things on yeah. the edge of the t- on the edge of the there table. Yeah, that will warn you that you've got your elbows on the table. Well, speaking of uh, restaurateurs, we've got uh, a guy. We're actually going to be replaying a guy who's got his hands in all sorts of places here in Portland. Maybe Kurt. Could uh, you know help us out with that? Yeah, well, so we decided to do something a little different. We're going to open with uh, a few minutes of our talk with Aaron Franklin mm-hmm. from Franklin Barbecue in uh, Austin, Texas. And uh, as some of you may have heard, uh, he uh, sustained a fire to Franklin Barbecue right as Hurricane Harvey was bearing down on Texas. Yeah, that Friday night, I believe it was. Uh, they had a, a fire that was started. So we were a little concerned uh, for him, uh, his safety. He's all okay. He texted us the next day and says he hopes to be up and running a few weeks later. Uh, but one of the casualties will be Feast Portland, mm-hmm. which will not see Aaron Franklin. And a lot of people, you know, that's the fastest selling 
uh, dinner that oh, they yeah. have at Feast every year. He's yeah. got actually a couple that he's got, he was going to do this year, and he's not doing it. But he was just so gracious to say, hey, I'll do the podcast. And we thought we, we, thought we weren't going to have him. Right. So uh, this was recorded uh, five days after the fire, and we're going to just include the newsy part of the interview up front. And then we'll go, as you mentioned, Kurt Huffman. Then we'll go into Kurt Huffman. We thought it would be an interesting thing to do to repeat, since we do repeats mm -hmm. here and there. We really, everybody likes them. We can see that by listener numbers. People are listening to those repeats that they didn't hear a few years ago um, at, at the same level that they're listening to new episodes. We thought with all the closings that have gone on lately with Chessa and um, some of the other significant ones, um, that it would be interesting to revisit our interview with Kurt that it occurred in January of 2016, so a year and a half ago, yeah. when he claimed on this podcast that there would be a restaurant Armageddon coming. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, I, I can't quote him verbatim, but I know he said something, I think he said, you're going to be surprised at the number of closures and some of the closures. Basically talking, there were going to be some big ones in there that were going to surprise some people. Right, and and we also have like a sale. Taylor Railworks yeah. announced they wanted to sell the restaurant. Just this past week, Ringside Grill. Ringside Grill. So announced we thought, hey, good down. time to have Kurt. So actually, Court, we just decided <laughs> this last night, you and I haven't, we remember the interview, yeah. but we didn't go back and listen to the whole thing. So we'll listen to it with you. Yeah. And uh, But we, it was a significant interview because two things. He talked about what was happening. It would be nice to revisit that and see if that's all come true. I believe it has. Kurt was right on target. Uh, and also, since Kurt has started his own, he, he's always had Chef's Table, mm -hmm. and he started another business that he's opening new restaurants with that aren't Chef's Table restaurants. So mm -hmm. uh, we have to have him back on at some point anyway to discuss that. But um, we thought it would be really cool to revisit um, uh, our interview with Kurt Huffman uh, as well. So you're going to hear, uh, first you're going to hear Aaron Franklin for a few minutes, and we also invite you to tune in next week because the interview will be in its entirety. Uh, actually, not this first part. We'll include the rest of it uh, next week. That'll be a brand new interview on Wednesday of Feast Week. And if you've already, if that's already passed, well, we hope you had a great feast. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Ristretto Roasters. With five locations throughout Portland, Ristretto Roasters offers some of the finest locally roasted coffee in the city. With gorgeous environments and service with big smiles, let Ristretto make your day better with a cup or two of great coffee or beans to go. You sound particularly upbeat for a guy who's just sustained a fire to his, his love <laughs> to your well, restaurant. Well, you know, uh, I, I think... Um... Yeah, you know, I, I'm not one to be too negative. I'm pretty, uh, I'm actually kind of looking forward to moving on and getting it rebuilt. And yeah, I'm kind of excited about our future, actually. I would say, you know, we've we've seen a few fires in Portland in the last couple of years. And in every instance that I know of, and I can't speak for everybody, but from what I've heard, it's it's a new beginning and it gives you an opportunity to relook at things and and uh, that you normally wouldn't have taken the, uh, take, taken the time to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And really, I mean, the... The damage is pretty bad on the building. I mean, we're going to be shut down for probably a few months at least. Um, but the part that uh, sustained the most damage, actually the roof leaked anyway, and that cooler needed to be replaced. So I, I feel like we're doing pretty good. There you go. And I'm sure you had uh, you had adequate insurance coverage. Yeah, I think we'll be okay. Good, good. So uh, two months, that's a, that's a long time. And you're, you're a guy who's... Um, 
who likes to keep busy. So I guess you're going to be back at it with a hammer and some other things on this. Yeah, on absolutely. Um, trying to get it together. You know, I mean, it, it just happened on Saturday, and today is Tuesday, I believe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're getting it together pretty quick. Tons of, I think, the permitting and, you know, all the kind of the legal stuff is probably going to take a lot longer than the actual building itself. But we only built that addition three years ago, so we can resubmit our old plans and, you know, definitely get the band back together for the construction and stuff. So it should should go pretty smoothly, hopefully. How did you uh, how did you come about the news? Um, I got a call uh, in the morning at five thirty seven, and um, jumped in the truck and just went to work. And uh, were you concerned also about Hurricane Harvey coming your way? That you had to do some things to prevent water damage. Beyond that, um, I think the water damage from putting out the fire. Pretty much covered our bases. Yeah, right? yeah. I um, it it's still you know they unfortunately the uh, the fire department had to cut open the uh, the roof to our prep kitchen, which is part of the original part of the building. Um, and I was kind of doing pretty good before that. I was like, oh, you know, the water damage is just the screen shelter anyway. It's fine. You know, we can demo the the timber and just reframe it and everything. And then that happened. I was like, oh man, that's a lot of water damage. So yeah, three days worth of rain inside the building too didn't help. Wow, and you sound. You know, you, uh, you do sound pretty good. How were you? That how were you feeling that morning? That it about the same. <laughs> about the same. You know, crack a couple jokes and get on with our lives. It's, uh, nobody got hurt, and it's just a building. So, so I think we'll we've we've got money, we've got insurance, so we'll we'll build it back better than ever. And I'm sure the support from the city and the region has been pretty strong. You're kind of well oh, known absolutely. around there. Yeah, it's been a it's been really sweet to uh, feel all the love from everywhere i mean just tons and tons of people wanting to help and you know doing stuff and spending dinner and dropping off beers and you know our uh, our food community is pretty special yeah it is i've i've had the good fortune to come down there a few times now and um it's very much like ours too so uh they're very similar you 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 Get into Austin, and you really feel like you haven't made a big change from Portland when you get in. And yeah, sure and it's true. And actually, even the outreach from uh, from so many people up in, in Portland, you know, because we cook Feast every year, and we've made so many good friends up there. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just been incredible. So what do, you, what do you think at this stage? You're only five days from, I guess you haven't really started to plan, but what might be a little different about the uh, the restaurant when pe- when you do open in a few months? Um, I think I'm going to redo the roof line over the smokehouse. Um, we'll have probably just one walk-in cooler up on the cantilevered part. And, um, yeah, otherwise, not a, not a whole lot. We might frame it in metal this time. Oh, there's a, there's a live and learn situation. <laughs> yeah, what a novel idea. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll see what really happens. I, I'm not real sure. It, uh, you know, we might have to stick to the same plans that we had before for the smokehouse. And, uh, you know, maybe be able to lightly amend those or, you know, I don't want to have to start from scratch. So we'll, it'll be pretty similar to what it was. Right. Well, with a, with a few preventative measures, I would imagine. Yep. Kurt uh, runs Chef's Table with a capital S here in Portland, uh, Chef's Table Group. And uh, they own some of Portland's finest uh, or are part of. And Kurt will explain that relationship that Chef's Table has with its chefs and what they do in Portland. And we'll talk about places like Ox and St. Jack. And uh, we're going to talk specifically about Lardo today and uh, Grasa and uh, now Prime 
and Avin and Shaker and Hamlet, and I'm sure Kurt will fill in the blanks there on whatever I missed. Um, and oh, the new one that I really love is La Moule. Mm. And, and I don't know, I'm always pronouncing that incorrectly for a guy who just was in France for a while. But uh, at any rate, it's wonderful to have Kurt here, not only to talk about his restaurants, his world and Portland food scene, but the current controversy with Lardo and the ownership that we've been reading about in the press. And uh, I wanted to give uh, our listeners the opportunity to hear from Kurt exactly what what his take on the situation. Kurt, you're calling us from, or we're call, we have you from San Francisco. That's right. How is it down there? It's not as icy. No, but it's, uh, it's, it's just like Portland. It's rainy and cold. Mm. Portland, you know, I've been telling people for a long time, it's not that rainy and cold here. At this time of year, yes, but we don't have snow, and we don't have to deal with it. But Mo- it most of the time. Yeah, most of the time, but not, nothing like East Coast. So, uh, But, Kurt, the other thing I forgot to say, or I did, neglected to say, I guess I forgot, was that you're a Portlander. You grew up here, uh, Multnomah Village, if, I, if I'm correct. That's right. My, uh, my dad moved us here when I was uh, three and he taught at Lewis and Clark Law School for his entire career. And, uh, yeah, I went to Wilson High School. I even went to Reed College here in town. Oh, very so nice. A couple, of, couple live, of prominent people have been to Reed. That's right. Some controversial figures in the food world. Um, but, uh, yeah, moved, uh, lived here until I was 23 and then moved away, uh, moved to France and then Canada and then Berkeley and then uh, three liberal bastions, uh, and then uh, moved back in uh, 2008 to Portland. And what brought you back to Portland? Uh, Andy Ricker, actually. So we were, uh, I was helping him with Pock Pock at the very beginning of Pock Pock. Um, we met in 2006, uh, just as I was about to start business school, and he was, uh, you know, going through what every chef goes through when they're first opening their own business, and I told him I had this idea of building a company that would support people in exactly his situation. And so in exchange for uh, him giving me access to all the restaurants, uh, accounting and, and management tools and everything, I did it for free for two years. And uh, we had a great relationship. And of course, Pock Pock went fairly well. Um, and then uh, he asked me to come back up to Portland and do some more restaurants for him. So I moved back here in 2008. And we, that's when I started Chef's Stable. And what was your first restaurant other than Pock Pock with Chef's Table? Ping. Ping. Still my, uh, still my favorite restaurant we've ever opened. And unfortunately, when uh, Andy won the beard and then became world famous and moved to uh, New York, and we just, uh, you know, we closed it down once he could no longer be in town. And uh, now it is uh, Rick Gencarelli's commissary kitchen. Over at Ping. Yes. So that's really your favorite restaurant that you opened uh, out of all of them? Yeah. And yeah, so why? I would say why? Easily, the it was it was the one restaurant we've ever opened where I could eat there seven days a week, uh, no problem. You can't eat at Ox seven days a week. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't eat. I mean, it was just it was for me. It just it fit exactly into uh, the kind of food that I like. You know, the flavor profiles that I like, and I mean, I just I I loved it. And I actually probably I have more people tell me that. Um, about paying than you know than any other restaurant we've been involved with. 
just there's a lot of it really hit a, a, a soft spot for a lot of people. Now, clearly, if it had been gangbusters busy all the time, you know, uh, maybe there would have been a different history. But uh, it really, you know, the people like Greg and Gabby Denton, you know, is one of their favorite restaurants before mm. it closed. So um, it, it was a wonderful place. But there you go. Now we are closing down our second restaurant, which was Gruner, to uh, uh, remodel it for Greg and Gabby. Uh, and they're going to be opening Super Bite uh, at the beginning of March. Oh, that's pretty so, soon. Cool. So speaking of Ping, there I don't remember. I have a, a terrible problem with remembering dishes not too long after I had them. But I had a pompano. <laughs> I had a pompano there that will for, forever remain on my, in my mind. And I was with great company. That has a lot to do with it for me. But it was so delicious. It was the whole pompano fried, and we just kind of shredded away at it. And I love that dish. Yeah, the pork knuckle, right? No, no, the pompano, the fish, the pompano. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that was a great dish. I love that Yeah, the dish. funny thing about Ping is that uh, I would say half of the menu is now over at Senyai. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, it was kind of, Ping was always Pock Pock's B-sides. That's what I, I make a lot of. I love that. It's a great music reference there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think music, I mean, I think the music industry and the food industry are, are very, very similar in, in a lot of ways. And, uh uh, and for me, you know, that was, you know, everything that we were doing at Ping was uh, kind of those dishes that that Andy loved that, uh, you know, that he just didn't feel like fit into what he was trying to do at Pock Pock. But, you know, we're just fantastic. So, I mean, we, we had a, a pork chop sandwich, which was just out of this world. We had that pork knuckle. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. Um, and... I mean, there were just so many dishes that were so fantastic, and so it's uh, it it's sad li- thinking back on it. It was a little different than other other place, but you know, your reference to uh, to the music industry is a good one for you because what you do with chefs is a lot of what a manager does for a musician, which is to handle the business end of their life or their career and um, and their music, and let them shine creatively so that you can do enough on the in the, on the back end to make sure that everything is running smoothly so their creativity shines in its in its brightest light is that correct yeah i think so i mean look it's you know every restaurant's kind of like an album you know is what is how i always think about it and you know sometimes it can be you know the album can be a source of enormous personal pride and it can be creatively creatively exactly what you're shooting for and nobody can like it you know and that and that's okay and um you know i think our, our approach to uh, to the restaurant business is that um we've never had uh we've never demanded or insisted that uh that everything we do be successful um that's not the principal filter for deciding to do a project um, and in fact, we, you know, we've come to a point and we've done, I think, 26 restaurants or 28 maybe in the last eight years. And our, our feeling about it now is that we genuinely have no idea which restaurants are going to work and which ones won't. Um, and, you know, we really eschew any kind of formula uh, on, the, uh, on the concept side, right? I mean, we're always willing to try new things, you know, every single project and that's i think a strength of what we do but also a, a glaring weakness of what we do because 
you know, you're kind of trying to reinvent the wheel each time. And, um, you know, just like, you know, when you're taking a new direction with an album, I mean, if we're going to continue the analogy, you know, sometimes people aren't just going to, you know, aren't going to like it. I mean, if we look at paying again, you know, Pac Pac was really exploding uh, restaurant of the year. You know, he, he then won the beard. But, you know, when people came to paying, they were really looking for the chicken wings. And there was, you know, Andy was never going to sell the chicken wings down there. And it was just kind of a frustration because that's, you know, that was his, uh, that was his number one hit song, right? And everybody wanted to listen to it and we didn't have it. So they weren't quite as interested in, um, in, in, in the other songs that were available. And so, yeah, and I, and I, you know, it's always dangerous to make, to have metaphors about what you, what you think your business is like, because, you know, you don't want to imply or suggest that um, it's as good as, you know, kind of the, the idea that you think it should be or the or the analogy that you're making. But, you know, my dream for Chef's Table was always that it would be like a uh, sub pop for um, for the restaurant world, that we could go and find people that we thought were super talented and provide a, a foundation for them to work in and provide financial support and provide some kind of guidance and that hopefully, you know, we would be uh, discovering talent and enabling talent in a way that would be, um, you know, that would be really exciting and that we would end up having, um, uh, you know, restaurants come out of that formula that would be unusual and, and fun and different uh, and that, that would kind of be our approach to contributing something to the Portland restaurant scene. And suffice it to say, you're not doing focus groups with any of your restaurants. (laughs) No, we're not. And, but that we don't, uh, no PR. uh, But I would imagine that that's got to get a little frustrating at times because you must have situations where you have a chef that wants to do something that you feel is like, no, that, you know, you're talking about letting them, uh, letting the restaurant take its, find its way. But in some cases, you've got enough experience to know that something probably will not work and you've got to let it go anyway. Well, and I think we're trying to get better at that. Right. I mean, at the beginning, I never said no to anything. Um, And 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 that was just because that's what you do when you start your own business. Right. You just say yes to things because you you're you're trying to uh, you know, I didn't want to be the only person working at Chef's Table. I wanted to be able to hire help and I wanted to be able to. Um, you know, bring in some support and, um, you know, wasn't until, you know, Chef's Table was about a year and a half old before I even had an employee. So, um, you know, you want to grow and you want to, and you want to bring in uh, new, new deals and new opportunities. Uh, and it just so happened that we were very fortunate for probably the first seven or eight um, projects. And, but, you know, as, as, if, as we've gotten smarter and, and older, there's definitely concepts now that are pitched to us, even by existing partners, where we just say, you know, that that just sounds like a terrible idea, and we don't want to do that. But, you know, we've also failed enough and succeeded enough where we can actually provide some insight into why we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, our partners, uh, you know, look at us as being credible and actually having an opinion that, you know, is informed and that matters. So... You know, we've there's a lot of you know I won't name names, but there's been a lot of stupid ideas that have been pitched to me. Oh come on, uh, name by, them. by existing partners, and I've well, pitched. You know, I'm I am the number one source of stupid ideas that I pitch to people all the time, and 
Um, you know, and I, I've pitched tons of ideas to Aaron Barnett, and he just stares at me with kind of a blank stare. Can we and look forward? He, can we look forward to seeing that on your website, on the Chef's Table website? The, the garbage. Yeah, the no garbage, more stupid uh, ideas mail. than anyone else. I <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've pitched ideas to you know Greg and Gabby. I pitched ideas to Rick. Um, my favorite idea I really tried to get Rick to get, to do, and he wouldn't do it, was a nacheria. And this is where we would only serve nachos. It'd be Rick, Rick Gencarelli nachos. Right, but the uh, aria part of it is, uh, is that spelled E-R-I-A or A-H-R-I-A? It's like a taqueria. Yeah. It's, yeah, but it's a nacheria. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I think, I'm sure that you see these uh, way down in the heart of Mexico. Um, you know, the old traditional nacherias. And, uh, <laughs> I really don't want to go into it, but you don't, you don't see the possibility of all the critics and all the Yelp reviews with diarrhea with that? You know? <laughs> Oh, believe me. I mean, if I worried about Yelp reviews, I wouldn't be doing any of that. Well, that, and that's how we met. My, that's how you and I met, my friend, was, was and Yelp that's reviews. that's how we met. But you, you were the rare ones, Chris. You wrote me a letter before you posted, which gave me a chance to actually reply. I didn't even, wasn't even, pl- just, I wasn't even planning a Yelp review. I only wrote you about the Yelp reviews that you had posted at Foster Burger. <laughs> that's right, yeah. That was my one attempt to kind of satirize the whole thing. I, we, uh... Every one-star Yelp review we got at Foster Burger, I framed and put in the uh, in, in the corridor to the bathroom, um, just because some of them were so fantastic. You know, we got a, a one-star Yelp review uh, for somebody saying they showed up and and we weren't open yet. Uh, and what kind of idiots aren't open <laughs> when uh, he when shows show up, up at a restaurant? Yeah. So we got a one-star review for that. Uh, we had. It was just awesome. I mean, all of these angry people for just the dumbest reasons, and I and I thought it'd be fun to just kind of post them, and that turned out to not be a great idea. Well, it probably, you know, I my case to you was when I wrote you that letter, and not to bring this up, but I, I thought it was kind of amusing. My case to you was when you're proven and you're just an awesome restaurant that's got everything singing on every level, then maybe you can do that. But at the time, I didn't feel that uh, you were in a position to mock your customers. That was my my feeling at the time yeah and that's what you don't want to do you don't (laughs) want to mock your customers right i mean it was supposed to be kind of hey isn't this funny uh but you know so after you wrote me and we talked we actually took down all the reviews and it was a good lesson for me so do you have any you know you you just mentioned a moment ago that you don't always know what's going to be the hits or what aren't you know what would fail do you have any uh that have absolutely surprised you that have been really successful that you had no idea were going to be or or a couple or one that may have just not not made it that you thought was uh, definitely going to be a hit well one of the ones that i was most panicked about because we had to take on a lot of debt to do it and it was in a neighborhood that i as a as a native portlander i just did not see how it was going to be busy was ox the night before we the night we opened ox i was absolutely petrified because it's the most we ever borrowed to do a restaurant and um you know and i just didn't i just didn't know uh yeah it's, it's so easy to kind of rewrite history right for people to say oh greg and gabby denton two of the most you know talented chefs in portland and of course it's going to work but that's just such bs it's like you know greg and gabby had you know just worked at two consecutive uh you know I mean, metro vino was was did okay but wasn't successful but they got uh, and then, they got a lot uh, of high Lucie, marks for that there yeah and Lucier was a total fiasco 
Um, Through no so, fault to them, right? They just happened. No to, fault. To that's theirs, what got right? them to but Portland. It's not like it's not like this pedigree of monster successes, right? Right, right. Uh, you know, I happen to believe that they were super talented, and that, that tends to be the only filter I use in deciding to work with people. Um, and so I believed in them, but I was petrified about MLK. I mean, you grow up in Portland, MLK, where it is, and all I could tell myself is, all right, Gorham's like four blocks away around the corner on Russell, and he's killing it. So, you know, we can we hope that we can stay busy, but. It's on MLK. It's not residential there. Uh, you know, you just, I just didn't know. And then we opened, and, and, the, and the thing with Ox uh, that resonated immediately with people is that people started thinking of it as a steakhouse. And as soon as you start thinking about a thing as a steakhouse, but kind of a foodie steakhouse, all of a sudden there were all of these West Hills people and all the foodie people mm -hmm. and, 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 and it just kind of compounded into the perfect storm. And, you know, we've been busy ever since we opened. Right? And I don't think it, I don't think it hurts at all that Greg and Gabby are such delightful people. Um, Absolutely. I think, I think in this town where you kind of need, where you need a little bit of a head start or it helps to have a head start, you don't need it, but uh, with the industry falling in love with places and doing some posting and sh and saying that they're there, that's where a lot of credibility comes in for a restaurant for a lot of our diners is to see other chefs. I agree. So, I agree. But, you know, the foodie, the foodie scene doesn't move the needle at all. You know, that's the great misconception in Portland is that they don't they don't make a difference. Um, glowing reviews don't make a difference. Um, you know, what makes a difference is whether the concept resonates with the 99% of people that don't read that stuff and don't care about that stuff uh, is if it somehow resonates with them. And I mean, we've had, you know, we've had, I mean, Ping's a great example, right? It was just top 10 restaurants in America, GQ magazine, rising star, best new restaurant in the Oregonian with Karen Brooks, just accolade after accolade after accolade. But, you know, it, it was in Chinatown, right? And who the hell wants to go into Chinatown with, you know, with just total disaster in terms of, you know, the neighborhood and, uh, and the stinks and the smells and everything. It's just, you know, it just the demographics like my mom's demographic. There's just no way that they want to go down there. So, you know, that couldn't, couldn't, we couldn't get over the hump. Um, and then there's, you know, the other restaurants that uh, have received tons of accolades, but maybe their business model wasn't done right. Right. So St. Jack's a great example. You know, we were we were a break-even restaurant uh, for four years when we were on Clinton because we just didn't have the seats to allow us to, to to make any money. So, you know, you can get all sorts of accolades and you can be as credible as you want in the foodie community, but uh, unless the concept resonates with normal people, you know, the people that are actually going to keep coming into your restaurant six months after it's open, uh, and you have the financial kind of operational infrastructure to allow you to actually pay your bills and pay yourself, you know, then you just, you end up closing after two or three years. So it doesn't have an indirect effect in that if the, if the quote unquote foodie community supports it, then some of the critics in Portland take note. And then when some of the, the critics or influential people from New York or other cities come into town, those are the places they go. And then it kind of, it kind of is self-perpetuating from there. Doesn't that help, or is that just a minor part? We of it? so in eight years, there is exactly zero correlation between national press and business levels. Okay. So 
you know, we can be featured all the time in, in the New York Times, and it doesn't make a blip on the radar uh, as far as business levels here in Portland. It's great for egos. It's great for this and that. But, you know, my the thing I like to say is, then, you know, the week after Andy won the, the Beard Award uh, was our slowest week ever at Ping. Hmm. Right. It just doesn't. So it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't, people have this idea, but there's really two different things. I think in the food world now there's kind of the brand of the chef, right. And that kind of exists as its own thing and it kind of lives in it. And, you know, with Andy, for instance, he's become a public figure in a certain way. And he's mm -hmm. on CNN with Anthony Bourdain. He's doing these things. And then there's the restaurant, right? Pock Pock as a thing resonated with people and now there's ubers in front of it all the time and if you go there you know what i'm talking about it is busy and it is busy with people from beaverton uh you know foodies in general don't go to pock pock anymore because they have because to wait just yeah because they have to wait and it's a hassle <laughs> but it's packed andy mm. is doing two times the business now that he was doing four years ago and four years ago he was you know just you think about him being enormously successful he's doing twice the revenue now I mean, Pock Pock is constantly busy seven days a week, and that's because that thing resonated. You know, you don't have lines at Senyai. Uh, we didn't have lines at Ping, right? It's just Pock Pock resonates with people. And uh, Well, it's a huge you know, brand now. I mean, it's all over the place. And, yeah, it's a huge and, brand. And it's but, Andy's you know, part of the brand, but the, the name Pock Pock has gotten that national press, which I think perpetuates But if that. you go to Pock Pock and you ask people, what's the name of the chef here? 99% of people won't oh, have any idea. Well, they wouldn't say Andy? Yeah, well, they may not know who's in the kitchen at that moment. I don't know. No, they wouldn't say Andy. They right. wouldn't know who owns it. Yeah, all right. It's like, you, well, that's you know, if you ask somebody at Ox, you know, to come in and, and just say, do you know the names of the chef? It's it's amazing how, people, how few people know it because after a while, nobody cares. It's like this kind of, you know, this Q-list celebrity or the, whatever the lowest celebrity list that food people occupy, it... it, it you know, it, it's like a radio station that, you know, 100 people listen to. It's just, it reminds me of my radio show. You know, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it doesn't, you know, nobody, nobody listens because the majority of people just don't care. It's like they've heard about a great place somehow. They want to check it out. And so, um, so that's, that's where they go. And it's delicious, right? And, right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Unsurpassed Quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupan's Market. So let's talk about another place that's delicious that maybe a lot of people aren't paying attention to, but I have been, and a few other yeah. people have been. Lardo. Um, yes. And we've been seeing, what, for about three weeks, a month now? Uh, probably three weeks. Um, a little controversy in terms of ownership of the original two Lardo locations and, uh, and how that plays into the North Williams location with Lardo. Can you... Just give uh, our listeners a little overview as to what they, those that had to, haven't read it and don't know, what they may have read, and then your take on it. Uh, so, of course, you know, this is A, talking about what has become a lawsuit, so I have to be careful about saying something. And I appreciated your kind words at the beginning 
of the sh of your introduction about me being transparent and I do try to be because I feel like it's important for me to remain credible you know with whoever it is I'm talking to and if I'm just filling them full of you know PR lines or company lines then I think after a while people just stop listening to you um, but you know relative to Lardo the the intro I'll give is 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 a reminder and I tell this to every business partner I sit down with is that businesses are first and foremost relationships and um, you know I had a business in France uh, with a very close friend of mine and we didn't have an operating agreement and we killed ourselves for 10 years building this thing uh, and it's now a very very big deal in, in Lyon France but when we you know we got into an argument eventually just you know and we were young I mean I was 20 what 24 when I started working on it and you know by the time I'm 33 I, he and I just want to kill each other and that's just you know that's just a relationship uh, gone bad we didn't communicate well um, we didn't have uh, kind of people that we could bounce our conflicts off of there was ego issues it's all the same stuff that you know goes into failed relationships right Failed businesses and failed relationships are remarkably similar. Um, and at Lardo, you know, that's what happened. There was a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more responsible than anybody uh, because my role uh, as, you know, as kind of the, the manager of these businesses is to make sure that everybody gets along. Uh, but in this case, uh, you know, the partners genuinely did not get along. There's a lot of frustrations those frustrations kind of boiled over oh, about a year and a half ago or a year ago. And, uh, and Rick and I, uh, you know, we own 90% of the business on our side. We kind of were trying to resolve those uh, problems, I would say, in a way that is frustratingly slow because lawyers are involved and uh, there's all this hedging and back and forth and trying to find out what the other side wants. Um, and... Uh, and over time, we just, you know, I, I think for Ramsey, who is the, the partner who's frustrated, it just things took too long and he felt like he was being jerked around. And so he pulled the, uh, uh, you know, he filed a lawsuit, which is an extraordinarily expensive thing to do. I mean, it's, you know, thirty to $50,000 to file a lawsuit. But you were in, the, there were lawyers involved before that because that you just cited slowed the process down. Yeah. I mean, we were. You know, we were essentially for a year kind of going back and forth on and the question that Rick and I kept asking our lawyer and and, you know, and then him asking the lawyer is just, OK, well, what what does everybody want? And it's amazing that and we just had a conversation uh, three weeks ago um, with Ramsey just saying, you know, what do, you know, what do you want? Because we got to just figure this out. And he's still not sure. Um, so it's it, it's interesting that we're just, you know, we're at a point where we're just. There's a lot of frustration. Um, I think that Ramsey wanted to be much, I know he wanted to be much more involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the business. He's a very smart guy. He has tons of contacts. You know, he wanted to help grow the brand. It just so happened that Rick and I didn't like the opportunities he was bringing and didn't like the deals he was bringing. And so I think he felt very much stymied. And there was just a point at which, you know, it just became awkward. And, um, and, and it was just an awkward relationship. I mean, it's essentially um, like being in a, a three-man musical group where, you know, two of the guys don't want to hang out with the third anymore. And, um, and then what do you do? You know, you just try to manage the situation thoughtfully. 
um, without without spending a lot of money and without getting too pissed off with one another. And and then you you know hopefully find an amiable solution. And unfortunately, um, unfortunately, it went to lawsuit before we could do that. But, so the, the lawsuit, uh, I, as I understand it, claims that you used equity from the Hawthorne location uh, to finance the North Williams. And given that uh, Mr. Ramsey was, or Ramsey, um, was the, um, was a partner there that uh, you were using his money to finance North Williams without his uh, permission or his knowledge. That's, that's what I read in the paper. Yeah, I think that's more or less that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and this is where it gets complicated because, you know, when you, we, we financed North Williams with an SBA loan. So a small business administration loan to be able to get an SBA loan. We had to get a cross corporate guarantee from chef stable, right? So my company guaranteed it. We had to, Rick and I had to put our houses on the line to guarantee it. And, uh, they insisted on having a cross corporate guarantee by Lardo. So the two other existing locations of Lardo. To get a cross-corporate guarantee, um, you somebody from those two companies has to sign. And for somebody from those two companies to sign, you have to get approval from all of the members. So way back on November 15, uh, 2012, um, we got uh, Ramsey's approval to, to do all of this. Um, and, you know, and as of, you know, the first year it was open, Ramsey is was, you know, a proportional owner of the bakery. Um, in the lawsuit, you know, he, he claims the, the, the opposite of both of those things. You know, the, the truth about what's happening uh, isn't as important in the lawsuit as the posturing and the kind of psychological pressure that each side tries to put on one another and, uh, and, and what, you know, on their side they've tried to do is really put the fear of God in, in Rick that he could potentially lose Lardo and lose control of the brand and actually have to sell it. Um, and it, it, you know, in my opinion, and, you know, seeing these things happen, the, the, the objective there was essentially to, you know, scare Rick so much about the possibility of losing Lardo, which incidentally will never happen. Um, but you know, to scare him enough to make it seem real enough that, you know, he, he, he freaks out and subsequently we freak out and we agree to pay whatever we have to pay, right, to make it go away. Um, and so you're sitting at a poker table. It's right? exactly what it is. He's, it's exactly what it is. Bluff. It's just posturing and bluffing and silliness. So the bottom line is, and I don't mean to cut you off, but it, we're, we're getting pretty deep into legalese here. There's... I would just say there's too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. No? <laughs> but yeah, the bo- well, look, it's just the bottom line is we didn't get along, right? Yeah. And, 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 and But think... the, the upshot is, and you can never tell what's going to happen, but we're all going to enjoy Lardo sandwiches, and, and you and Rick will be the rightful owners. Is that? Yeah, we're going to. Rick, of course, is like Rick's going to, you know, Lardo's going to stay. Um, we, you know, we, we, the bakery, North Williams has been a harder destination than we expected. Um, you know, we did, there's tons of building going on up there. We know eventually it's going to catch up until then we've had to support the bakery. You know, once that baker, you know, once the bakery in the Lardo North is as busy as the other places, then, you know, then we'll be able to grow Lardo. And, you know, what we've told Ramsey is just, look, just, you got to be patient. You know, it's like, we're not doing anything funny here. We're actually supporting 
the bakery, which we have to as part of the cross-corporate guarantee that everybody signed and agreed to, and let's just get the bakery going, let's get up and going, let's find good deals uh, in the future. We're not allowed to take any new debt on as Lardo right now as part of the SBA loan, so we're just kind of in a holding pattern. And I understand that people get frustrated and they want to make money sooner than later and that they get impatient, but at the same time, it's not really my problem. I mean, we're doing what we have to do for the for the good of the, the company, and you know. And I will say one thing is that I'm I am unhealthfully loyal uh, to my partners, and you know. So in this case, I felt like somebody was bullying uh, Rick and trying to scare him, and so in those circumstances, you know, I'm gonna uh, you know I'm gonna be overly protective uh, of of Rick's interests because he's my friend. And, you know, and I want to defend what he spent the last six years building. Um, and, you know, so we're just going to be in strong disagreements until this is all sorted out. But it's going to get sorted out. So on that note, we got to do some product placement right here, Chris. Let's do some product placement. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's appropriate yeah. because I want to talk to Kurt about um, about his new app for Chef's Table, which is Chew. Yeah. But there's another app that's supporting us. Yeah. Pic- picnic. Pic- picnic. Kurt, do you know about Picnic? Have you heard about this yet? Oh, boy. I, I think that we came across it during our research for the development of Chew, but I, I can't remember the specifics well, about it. You- P-I-Q, N-I-Q. Right. And to, to me, this is perfect for my wife at home who occasionally will prepare like a gourmet meal. She's super proud of herself. She's done awesome presentation, and then she starts snapping pictures of it for Instagram and Facebook. But Picnic is exactly that. For people at home cooking, a way to like kind of say, "Hey, th- I did this. Well, I made this." More so than than bragging, though, it's about sharing, yeah, and say so, and getting some feedback, feedback and some conversation going about the recipe right. and and so forth. So it's kind of a hybrid between uh, Instagram and Reddit, which I'm not very familiar with, but kind um, of a blogging site where you can just kind of there's interaction between all the users cool. and your dis- discussions are going on. Right, and as you're going, it's not just one picture. Yeah. You can post a number. So you have a series they have. That's the that's the feature actually that I love the most. I'm a big Instagram fan, but in, in Picnic you can actually, if you've taken four different photos of something, you can actually, they'll all be right there. You don't have to do four different posts. Right. So it's uh, it's easy to find on iTunes. It's P-I-Q-N-I-Q. Coming soon to Android, but can be accessed on a browser if you're an Android user. So um, check out Picnic uh, if you like to cook at home or you just like to look at beautiful food. There we go. And, or. Yeah. You just want to support this podcast and show people that their their product placement. There we go. Right at the we got to get we got to get them the right at the fork bump downloads on iTunes. So go download it, everybody. There you go. And another one to download. Yeah. Chew, Kurt. We have Chew now, which is basically a features a lot of the chef's table restaurants and has some little deals on there, as I see. And a, it's a little bit of a loyalty program, is it not? It is. It's a loyalty program that in kind of phase one, it's going to morph into a reservation software as well. Um, and essentially, it's uh, it's all about building loyalty, but uh, not through uh, the premise of just giving stuff away, but more about uh, in, engaging people in, you know, in uh, deals, if that's pop ups, if it's big food events, if it's stuff we're organizing. Um, if it's invitations to come to Greg and Gabby's new restaurant, you know, once the preview dinner start, I mean, the idea is to 
have uh, it essentially collects a lot of data um, through our point of sale system. Um, so, you know, when you come in and eat at the restaurants, um, we're able to to know what it is that you order and what it is that you like. So if we are going to send you something, we're sending you something based on what you've actually ordered and eaten. Um, and then, you know, it's more or less an opportunity for us to say thank you to people, but in an intelligent way. So uh, internally for us, it's a great way to reach out to our guests and, uh, and, and show them that we appreciate the fact that they're spending their hard-earned dollars with our restaurants. Um, and then for users, it's an opportunity to get engaged in anything and everything that we're involved in in the food scene in Portland. Um, and there's a lot of content that's now uh, starting to circulate on the app, whether it's uh, video content from different chefs and partners or recipes or, you know, you name it, invitations to parties that we're hosting, things like that. So the idea is just to kind of have a forum where people can engage in in the Portland food scene. And, you know, once we get all the bugs worked out and figure it all out, we're going to be growing it, we think, to 30 different restaurants in town. And then... You know, oh, so it's not just going to be a chef's table thing? No, not at all. No. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. I was going to obviously yeah, want to so ask Yeah, we have that. a lot of people. As soon as we get the reservation status on there, we're going to be uh, we're going to be set up, and it's going to be fantastic. Will we be able to make reservations at Ox through this? Well, what's super cool about it is once you've been into Ox a certain number of times, for instance, you're going to unlock an ability, potentially. You know, Greg and Gabby, I'm negotiating with them on this, but you're going to be able to have an ability of us to send you like a cut to the front of the line coupon. Uh, that is my thing, invite. man. I've been talking to... I asked First is sold. I asked the Gorums about this. Anybody, anything to get to the front of the line. Yeah, because if you go into a place 10 times, right, like you're a good customer, right? Right. right? Those customers are usually calling me or texting me or texting somebody and saying, hey, can I get in tonight? And it's like, it'd be great just to be able, for us to be able to send a one-use thing on your phone. You just show it to your host and say, hey, man, today I really want to cash in this thing I have. So it's not we're not giving away anything for free, right? It's just an awesome upsell because you're such a good client. And that so, gets you know, around the, the Portland attitude like anybody's getting favoritism because they have – any right. influence or money this, right. or yeah you've earned it yeah. i think that's awesome and i think that i think it'll work and i think a lot of people will gravitate to the restaurants that do that over some of the other ones so so the thing about phones which i keep telling people is that in, in portland you know down here in san francisco it's like people are paying with their phones everywhere right. and i'm you know i'm telling people it's like look the phone is just it's evolving and we're a little bit you know a bunch of Luddites in Portland, but it's going to come and all restaurants have to be equipped now with this, uh, this chip reading system uh, to remain compliant with credit card processing rules. So the phone is just becoming this thing where you pay for stuff. So, you know, the idea of showing somebody a cut to the front of the line thing on your phone, you know, in two or three years is just going to be commonplace, right? Yeah. I mean, God, gift I cards, that. people are going to stop issuing plastic gift cards because you're just going to go to a kiosk, enter in a code, and they're going to email you your or, or text you your gift card, which is going to be on your phone. And you just simply show your phone like you do at Starbucks. If you've seen those, you know, those guys using the gift card there, they just, you know, show their phone, it scans, and it deducts money from right. the gift card. It's just the phone is just becoming a hub of all these, all these transactions. And so we're just using it as a way to kind of, you know, communicate. And we're keeping it super discreet. It's not like the phone is out. The only time you ever have to show the phone ever 
is if I say, Chris, thanks for coming in 10 times to Lardo. Mm -hmm. You're the Cubano king for October. I want to be the Cubano king. I got to be the Cubano king. Do you get a t-shirt with the Cubano Cubano king? Yeah, Yeah. when you become the Cubano king, the only shirt available is a double XL. That's a coronation I want to go to. We know that about you. (laughs) I'm getting a little smaller. We make you a double XL Cubano king (laughs) t-shirt, and you just have to show your thing saying, hey, some of these guys left me a present. Feed me a t-shirt. You know, we give it to you. It's like that's just uh, nice. That's not cheesy. That's just that's just being conscientious and good business people. It is. So listen, Kurt, we're running out of time, unfortunately. And there's one thing I wanted to cover with you before we go. You you and I were chatting the other day and you made the comment that right now is a really tough time to be opening a new restaurant in Portland. Can yes. you and not uh, uh, in a minute or two? Can you talk about why that is and what's going and what's leading you to say that? So uh, here are the data points. Um, one, we've been in business now for eight, about eight and a half years in Portland. Uh, and never in eight and a half years have I uh, uh, been getting uh, as many calls from uh, restaurant operators that are struggling. Um, you know, never have I been getting calls from restaurant brokers, right? The guys that sell restaurants that are struggling for other people. Um, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's chronic right now. And um, there's been so many openings and there's such a fury around, you know, opening restaurants that I, I, I think we're going to have more closures in the first half of 2016 than we've seen in 10 years. Um, and it's going to be places that really surprise people. I mean, there's some very popular restaurants that are just simply not making money. And I don't know why that is. Um, uh, you know, I'm just not sure. I think that there's maybe more uh, supply right now than there is demand. Um, you know, I think that the the, the demand is going to keep growing, but I think maybe the restaurant scene outpaced uh, the demand. But it is the hardest time by far that I've seen in, in the last eight and a half years in Portland. And, uh, and that there's going to be a lot of really sad closures that are going to happen in, in the next six months. That's sad to hear because uh... – we just had Levant close and Kakote, and everybody's very sad about that. And uh, hate Man, to see more restaurants that like that. People are going right back in, right? They're going. I mean, just think about the old St. Jack, right? Renard went right in there afterwards. Right. They're closed already. Hmm. It's just, you know, it, it's just because that, that fantasy is out there. This fantasy of just going in and having a successful restaurant in Portland is just so compelling to people, and people are willing to throw money into it because it's kind of a scene now. So you have the cash available, you have interested parties, you have all these young people. And I mean, believe me, I know because I get emails every day about young guy doing this person from out of town moving to Portland because they want to be part of that. It's just like there's a fury about trying to get the place open in Portland is like a foothold to, you know, creating some kind of national celebrity or something. And and it's just you know, they're just and I don't think that everybody's ready. Right. No, I, this is, well, this I think they're hard all, at this business. point they're probably three, two, three, four years too late. So they're no longer buying low. They're they're buying high. They're buying high. Yeah. They're buying really high. And and frankly, you know, the scene is you know it's a it's a pretty a mature scene here, right? So you have to bring in your A game. You just can't come in and kind of have you know mediocre stuff and and, and expect to be successful. Um, but you know, but I think what we're really going to see is a trend. In the next year or two is just going to be reduced service restaurants because 
you know, compounding all these things. Is you mean the like, the like at Grasa and Lardo when you Yeah, take, like Grasa and Lardo. Right. It's just, uh, you know, because the minimum wage is going to increase. Uh, there's no way they're going to give us a tip credit to help balance that. So, you know, essentially everybody in the restaurant scene is going to have to give a 4 to $5 an hour raise uh, to our best paid employees, you know, all of our servers and bartenders. Yeah. And we're not going to be able to give a raise to the people that need a raise, and that's everybody in the kitchen. Um, and so, you know, and, and so that's just going to scare the hell out of even more people. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be, I mean, it's a really challenging time right now um, to get, uh, you know, to get a place open and successful. I mean, rents are just through the roof and Blah, well, that's blah, the problem. Blah, blah. You're buying high. So if they would have done it a few years ago, maybe they were in a little better. Yeah. So, Kurt, other than a chef's table, a restaurant, just give me one or two places that are really exciting you in Portland right now that you think won't close or hope don't close anyway. Oh, boy. Well, I can't say that qualifier because, um, you know, I so well, I, I just meant that you're really enjoying what, uh, yeah, a couple of places. I, I had a wonderful meal at Coquine. I thought it was wonderful. But... Uh, that size of a restaurant with that many seats uh, is an absolute bear to make money at. Um, and I think if you look at the places that have closed recently, Cocote, Levon, all those, they're, they're all in the, same uh, in the same kind of family, right? right. Like 50-seat full-service restaurants uh, in Portland. So, so, I mean, for me, I think I hope, hope, hope that they can they can make that work because that is a tough, tough model. Well, it's also a very unique little situation over there. It's beautiful. Uh, oh, Kurt, it's just beautiful. Listen, yeah. it's been wonderful to have you here. Thank uh, you. We've really enjoyed uh, having. Well, the fact that you called in from San Francisco, you moved a lunch for this. So I, I guess did. I guess I owe you lunch somewhere. That's all right. At some time. That's all right. I have a lot of lunches. Yeah, well, I always say that too. With eighteen restaurants, it's like eating out is not what. It's not one of your challenges. That's what Pete. You know, for Christmas, sometimes people give me gift card gifts, certificates to restaurant. It's like I get. I don't mean to be rude, but it's like the last thing I. How about this? We'll have you over and make you a grilled cheese. That's yeah. Invite me out for a beer. There we go. There. Well, you got you have access to that too, Kurt. I do. Yeah, there's a little bit of beer. You have the industry. So listen, Court. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Chris, as usual, always nice talking, and uh, um, and we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Oh, one other thing. Where to find you, uh, I guess, uh, Chef's Table, is it, what is the, what's the website, Chef's Table.com? Chef's Table Group.com. Chef's Table Group.com. Yeah. I don't do any of the social media stuff. Um, I, I try to, I think I post one thing every three months. Right. No, um, you got, so I just you have don't. People, you have people. Well, the chef's table does stuff, but I don't personally do stuff. There's, right. you know, it's a I big, don't. big well, brother. That's what, I, that's what I meant. You have people who do things at chef's <laughs> table, and they do a great job. I know Sarah. Sarah uh, is wonderful. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, um, at any rate, thanks very much. Of course. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.